Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 52. The one about ABBA's comeback, camera techniques, Filmora X and the film Matrix 4 Resurrections. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me, my own mission to keep marketing simple, the host of the Rockwell Video Series and the author of Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, hello, everybody, and thank you so much for that. And my co-host is also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much. I can also thank the many thank yous and well-done messages we got last week when we announced that this was year two of Two Geeks and Martin podcast, this being episode 52, and for episode 51, as you saw on the socials, Roger. It, it just feels very special, isn't it, to have um, people that we know well and people that are a bit, a bit more distant, you know, more like uh, acquaintances from across the, the, the world, to just wish us the very best. Yeah, it was fantastic. And and again, it's a big milestone to do a second year. It's, I mean, we could call it series two, I guess, if you wanted to. But yeah, a second year of Two Geeks and a marketing podcast. And people were pleased to see us back. <laughs> that was wonderful. So I'll tell you what, let's get going with In the News. Julie McNamara, the former head of programming at Paramount, who helped develop series like Star Trek Discovery, has joined Spotify as their new head of US studios and video operations. Wow. Well, according to research conducted by iWalker, more than 340,000 businesses were registered in the UK between January and June 2021, an increase of 32% from the same time period in 2019. Channel 4 has further prioritised streaming over linear, with every piece of our scripted content will now be primarily commissioned for all four, according to the Chief Operating Officer, Jonathan Allen. Amazon has introduced its first line of televisions, which allows customers to ask Alexa to recommend a new show or play something from Prime Video without opening the app. According to thedrum.com, Bruce Willis is the first Hollywood actor to have given permission for his image to be used in a TV advert to appear as a digital, de-aged and deep-faked Bruce Willis. Mm, but in France, Sassam and Jest have reached an agreement on music licensing for podcasts, with prices starting for €0.125 per subscriber per month to cover creators, very much like PRS for Music in the UK or APRA in Australia. The sports bar chain Buffalo Wild Wings has organised a competition for the loudest crowd cheering during football <laughs> matches using artificial intelligence to determine a winner. Well, the aptly named Nerds Candy is introducing a new packaging that gives customers access to a themes Dungeons and Dragons campaign and prizes like D&D starter set and player's handbook. Fantastic. I am a very happy man, Roger. I've <laughs> managed to speak about Dungeons and Dragons on a marketing podcast. It was mentioned in This Week in History, but to have it in the news is quite an achievement. Especially seeing as it's been going for probably close to, if not more than 40 years. Yeah, the, 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 the 70s. So, wow, Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, both Roger and I were RPG players back in the days, and I know there's been a renaissance across, you know, generations and so on. But let's move on to something perhaps more business-like. Your first news item, Julian McNamara, who helped develop TV series, now working for a podcasting company. It's a bit of a, a change in focus, isn't it? Um, you know, going from developing series like Star Trek Discovery, you know, one of the hottest properties in the entire world, in the TV world, moving across to Spotify. But, you know, they obviously want somebody with those really sort of robust creative juices, I guess. Because, I mean, two things. Are Spotify then, do they have ambitions to also create video content or is it just because they want to tap into the the talent around storyboarding around character development you know all the wonderful things that would come in so that they can do some amazing audio storytelling i would hope they're going to stick with audio i mean to me spotify just is audio and and again pascal you and i have this conversation on the show frequently, that we do seem to be living in a world where everybody, and whether it's a company 
or a, an app or a platform, there seems to be this predilection to be the same as everybody else. So I hope they haven't hired this person with a view to let's become the next YouTube or let's become the next Netflix. You know, for goodness sake, stick to your knitting, stick to your niches and do that really, really well. Excel at that and we'll all be happy. We don't want everything in the world to be exactly the same. I think there's also a smart recruitment because a smart leader will always bring talent around areas that they themselves are not so good at or they have little track record. And to have a multidiscipline kind of team for Spotify, I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's a smart move. So long as I agree with you, they stick to being the go-to audio platform. Talking Mm -hmm. of audio, this ability to spend a little bit of money to have some music on your podcast, no point. 21.25 21.25 euros essentially um, depending on how many subscribers you have per month this could be a very very small investment to really bring some kind of uh, contemporary or current um, music creators on your podcast so are they actually saying that for this fee i could play genesis songs or yes. or u2 songs and that's on my podcast correct Okay. I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we've had the chat before where, again, going back to Spotify and their link in with Anchor that you could, you could actually play, um, snippets of songs as part of an Anchor podcast as long as you had an associated Spotify account. And and if somebody was listening to your podcast and they also had a Spotify account, they would listen to the whole song, whereas if they didn't have a Spotify account, they'd only get the snippet. Um, and, and that was a way round the copyright rules. But this probably sounds like for not a lot of, uh, lot, not a lot of money, you could genuinely start your own radio station playing music. And I think that'll appeal to a lot of people. No, absolutely. And and I think it's a good solution to a problem, which is people will want to play music. They will find ways to make it happen and break the rules and hoping not to get caught. And I'm maybe just going to tidy that up. But talking of breaking rules potentially, finally, this idea of Bruce Willis giving permission to for his image to be used, he gets paid to do no work, right? so that a Russian telecom company can create an advert with essentially Bruce Willis probably uh, running around and, and, and moving away from explosions a like Die Hard. Uh, where do you stand with this, this uh, deep fake uh, technology? It's, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And, and, and actually, I'm going to talk about it a little bit in my content spotlight. Um, I mean, let's face it, we would all prefer to see the genuine article. Um, and I mean, I, I'm trying to think how old Bruce Willis must be. He must be in his late fifties, early sixties. Maybe he's a bit older. I don't know. Um, but you know, he's one of those guys to me who's always looked about the same age. He might have a little <laughs> less hair than he had than he had um, twenty years ago. But he's he's not one of these people that has aged a lot. But we have seen this de-aging technology happen in, in films. There was that uh, that uh, Netflix film with um, Robert De Niro in and um, Al Pacino, and they were both de-aged significantly. And it, and it worked to a certain extent, but you could sort of tell that there was something just a little bit wrong with it. Um, so I, I, I think, I guess, given that nobody's going to do a, a job on this ugly mug looking at you in the um, in the screen here i guess i just wish people would just stick to what they look like but importantly this is somebody that looks a bit like bruce willis who's going to have bruce willis face superimposed using deep fake technology and you'd be watching an advert thinking bruce willis is acting in the advert yeah do yeah. we are we in danger of crossing a line very soon where for example if i'm going to stretch it all the way to business You'd be watching a video on a business website where allegedly the CEO is addressing you, where in fact it's an actor and this all been deep faked. Well, that doesn't sound good, does it? Especially if the uh, if the business leader sat on a Caribbean beach sometime, somewhere, well, whilst everybody else is working hard. For, for me, then you, you move into the, the the subject that you and I have explored a lot on this podcast, which is about ethics and honesty. Mm-hmm. So do you need to then ha- start with a disclaimer saying, this is not Bruce Willis, 
but we have his permission to use his image? Or are we going to end up in a situation where we're going to go and see a film where James Dean or Elvis Presley are back on screen using deepfake? And so I think there's going to be more debate about it. Yeah, and and again, how how much does it cross over with the the likes of recreating Princess Leia in Rogue One, for example, mm. using CGI? Is that the same sort of thing? Yeah, we shall see. But I think for a consumer, you would want to know that you're being addressed by the real person, or that you know, uh, there's there's some websites out there that are saying to you, oh, by the way, if you want a welcome video. All you have to do is type the text and we'll, we'll create a video where a person essentially speaks at, at your audience. So I think there's still that desire to hack your way through marketing as opposed to doing the, the real thing. No, I think I think absolutely it's got to be upfront. And it says this is a fake Bruce Willis. <laughs> it has to be. It has to be upfront, doesn't it? Excellent. Well, let's slow things down, if you don't mind, and let's move on to the content spotlights. Now, I always look forward to this segment of the show where we surprise each other with a discovery from the interweb, an article, a podcast, or a video. So, Roger, what are you bringing to the virtual table today? Well, this is a bit different, Pascal, and it actually ties into what you were talking about there with a with a faked Bruce Willis, actually. Um, this completely caught me by surprise, but last Saturday, there was a live relaunch by the 1970s, 1980s pop group ABBA. Um, And completely out of the blue, they have launched two new singles, brand new music, first time in over 40 years. And there's a 10-track album coming in November. And next year, there's going to be a virtual series of concerts, all featuring this new music by ABBA. Now, A lot of people probably don't like ABBA, but you can't get away from the fact that they are one of the biggest pop groups that's ever existed and probably one of the most popular in terms of melodies and and tunes and and songs you just can't get out of your head. And because of the stage play Mamma Mia and because of films like um, Muriel's Wedding and Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, their songs are just absolutely ingrained into pop culture. Now, they split up in the very early 1980s and absolutely categorically said that they would never, ever, ever get back together again. But of course, here here we are with this announcement coming completely out of the blue, new album and a tour coming up. So I thought, well, this is actually really interesting. And, and I've sort of grown to like ABBA over the years. Back in the 70s and 80s, I just thought they were the worst thing at all. I was into heavy metal and had long hair in those days. But now, you know, I can appreciate them for what they are. And, and you know, they bang out a really, really good tune. And, you know, Mamma Mia, the film, which we've reviewed here on the show, and the stage play is, is just a f- global phenomenon. So... What is really interesting, though, is effectively the content that they are building around this. Now, ABBA are in their mid-70s. You know, it's very unlikely that they would be able to actually go on stage, travel around the world, and do as energetic concerts as they used to 40 years ago. So what they've actually done is they've spent months and months and months wearing these suits which record the movements of the body, and they are actually creating avatars, holographic avatars, which will appear on stage at these virtual concerts next year. And just like your Bruce Willis example, Pascal, the faces of ABBA will be superimposed over these avatars. So when you go to the concert, you'll go into the concert and you'll see these avatars on stage. There'll be a proper band playing, uh, but ABBA won't really be there. You'll be watching holograms. Now, I don't know how I feel about that, actually. You know, and, the, and I've had a look at the co- the price of the tickets and they're like 200 quid. Oh, goodness. And right. I'm thinking it's like, if, you know, if I spend 200 quid, whether they're in the <laughs> 70s or not, I think I'd like to see the real ABBA on stage. But, you know, that, that's that's perhaps a, 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 another debate. But you can't get away from the fact that the technology that is being 
built put into this is just remarkable and i just love the way that they've relaunched themselves you know it came out of the blue but there's a big web there's a website called abba voyage um, you can download the two songs already they're on spotify and they are absolutely unmistakably abba songs they are so catchy i found myself humming both of them this week uh, they can still sing. The melodies are still superb. So I'm happy with that. But what I absolutely love, and I'm actually going to read you some of the lyrics from one of the songs. Now, this song is called Don't Shut Me Down. And when you actually read the lyrics, it it's sort of talking about a couple that have broken up, I think, but maybe thinking about getting back together. But there's a subtext to it. So the chorus goes something like, and now you see another me. I've been reloaded. I'm fired up. Don't shut me down. I'm like a dream within a dream that's been decoded. I'm fired up. I'm I'm hot. Don't shut me down. I'm not the one you knew. I'm now and then combined. I'm asking you to have an open mind. So the song's almost like a plea saying we're back, but we're different. We're not the same as we were 40 years ago. Give us a chance. Don't shut us down. And the song is so good that I think a lot of people were listening to it won't actually realise that the song is a plea, effectively, to give ABBA another chance. And I just love that absolute subtext that's going into those lyrics. That's stunning. I agree with you. I think a lot of people enjoy ABBA's music a lot more perhaps than we realise. And they are, if you step away from just the music itself, it's a wonderful example of branding, personal mm. and corporate branding, but also mm. content marketing. You know, I've discussed how many times the, the, uh, the music has been repurposed in, in, in the different media. In terms of the content itself, it's a tricky one. It reminds me a little of uh, what happened in France in the 80s and 90s. There was a music producer who created what he called the Imaginary Concerts. So you would go to a concert, but in fact, you'd be watching on the giant screen video clips of famous stars. And it was more a, a party atmosphere than a concert atmosphere. So perhaps that's what they need to do, which is we won't be there, but you're invited to a party where we're going to celebrate yes. our music, our new music. And we're also going to surprise you with some technology. Uh, you know, And I suspect there'd be some surprises in there. Because, and I think it's back to the level of clarity we mentioned a moment ago. So if people went to the concert, goodness, Roger, thinking that the real people are there and then they're faced with avatars and very, very clever kind of um, projection onto um, maybe uh, you know, performers or standings or even um, statues, you, you'll feel ripped off. But if, if, you, if it's clear from, from the get-go that you're going for a tech-driven uh, performance, that, that could be quite interesting. Yeah, I agree. And and you know what else is really interesting about this is that, you know, on YouTube, there's a genre of video where people do reactions to songs. Mm. And and there's the very famous example of, of a couple of 15-year-old uh, boys from the States who re-watched a Phil Collins song, In the Air Tonight, from 40 years ago. And it, w and it got so many views on YouTube that it actually put the song back to the top of the charts <laughs> in, in the United States 40 years down the line. But YouTube is absolutely inundated with people doing reaction videos to these two new ABBA songs. And I've seen people, I've watched them absolutely in tears listening to this stuff. You know, young people who who were, weren't even a glint in their parents' eyes when ABBA were first around, mm. actually getting really emotional about listening to this new music. Can I also say, in the context of the episode the lines you've read are very interesting when you think mm. about our choice for film marketing. Yeah, absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely right. So, Pascal, what is your content spotlight this so, week? So, this content spotlight has been on our trailer board, you know, as viewers and listeners will remember when we discussed how we produce two gigs and a marketing podcast, we use trailer to save you know, all our discoveries, findings, and research. And this video has been on trailer for a long while, only because I wasn't sure when and how to introduce it. But your selection last week in Marketing Tech and App, when you spoke about the DJI Pocket 2, the creator kind of uh, pack, inspired me to get into it. So the title is The Ultimate Guide to Camera Movement, 
every camera movement technique explained by the team at Studio Binder. Now, Studio Binder is a kind of software st um, stroke consultancy company that helps filmmakers manage and plan all aspects of their film project from pre-production all the way through post-production. They have software solutions, they have courses and, and support. And they have this incredible um, set of masterclasses, which they publish freely on YouTube. And whilst I agree that Studio Binder would be looking after the interest of indie filmmakers, if you are a vlogger, if you are somebody looking at creating engaging videos, you should know the language of cinema and vi visual storytelling, and you've got to learn about movement. And the point is, Roger, we've been stuck indoors primarily, all of us, to create our video content. It's been very, very static. It's been essentially we sit or maybe we stand and we talk, we interview, we do different things. As we are about to be able to go out a bit more and within, you know, respecting still some of the restriction health and safety measures, I think we need to reconnect with creating content where it's not just what's inside the frame that is moving, but the frame has to move too. And I want to give you a bit of a challenge, if I may, or challenge, as they say where I come from, which is for you to experiment with your DJI Pocket 2 with a different um, movement. So it's it's a delightful half-hour documentary, and don't be put off by the length, because what they do is they explain all the different camera movement by using famous films. So you have the pleasure of watching things like, you know, the Batman or the, um, with... Um, um, oh goodness, I've forgotten to them, the actor that passed away sadly, that was directed with Kristen Bale and so on. You, you, you're going to watch, you know, classic from Hitchcock and so on. You got, Steven Spielberg is in there, Star Wars is in there. So you're going to be watching uh, and be delighted by your favorite films. But within that, you've got this wonderful narration by the different techniques, De techniques which I'm going to list out for you and tell you how to make you so they start by explaining what the static shock shot is and why it is still useful so you should be moving all the time but then the camera can move so you've got the pan movement you've got the whip pan you've got the tilt for the verticals you've got the push in which is my favorite you've got to pull out you've got the zoom you've got the crush zoom used a lot in films like hot furs and many other things you've got the, the dolly zoom you've got the camera roll where the camera rolls on its axis you've got tracking one of my favorites um the trucking you've got the arc you've got the boom shot you've got the random movement camera shake and so on and so forth and whilst you shouldn't be bogged down by the language, knowing those main camera movement can really transform your vlogging and your video marketing. They also give you a cheat sheet. So at the end of the video, you have a link to actually print a creep sheet where all those movements you know symbolized for you and they give you homework at the end like all good classroom there's a scene from the rise of skywalker you've got to watch it and you've got to name all the different shots and what i like about the video doesn't tell you just what the shots are and what they are called. They tell you why they are used, tell you about the emotional intent. They tell you how they add to the visual storytelling. And and once again, you have the pleasure of watching very famous movie scenes and makes you, oh, wow, that's why I feel, feel like this. I mean, my, my favorite of all times is the Dolly Zoom, which is made famous in Vertigo and also in Jaws. Now, in Jaws, as you know, my favorite film, films of all time, when you know Chief Brody discovers for the first time there's a shark on the beach, and you've got this incredible dolly zoom where the camera goes gets close to him, but the background behind him just kind of stretches out to express obviously the level of anxiety and fear that he's feeling. And um, proud to say that I managed to recreate the dolly zoom on one of my films after many and many attempts. If that's fair to say, but it really is fascinating when you start to understand movement of the camera, how it can add not just interest but an element of storytelling. Oh, this is fantastic, Pascal. Now, you mentioned the DJI Pocket 2, which I did as my uh, marketing tech last week. Uh, I've had the busiest week this week working on um, a big online conference project, and I haven't been able to get out and about and play with my new toy. Um, but I have been watching, when I've had a spare moment, as many YouTube videos as I can with people explaining the sort of cinematic techniques that you can achieve with this DJI Pocket 2. So this will be another video to add to my uh, watch list. And it's pretty much obvious from what I've learned about this camera that you can 
pretty much pull off all of those shots that you've mentioned using this remarkable little device. And interestingly enough, whilst I was sitting here thinking about what I was going to do to reply to your um, description of this piece of content, I was saying, I'm going to mention the dolly zoom. I'm going to mention the dolly zoom. And then, of course, you mentioned the dolly zoom. But that, in my head, is the one shot that I would like to try. That rushing up to Chief Brody's face where, zooming out. where the background just goes weird behind him. And and as you say, I think what you do is you zoom the camera. You actually walk the camera on a dolly towards the um, subject whilst actually using the camera lens to zoom out at the same mm. time or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah you have think, both versions, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think uh, I'll have to play around with it, but it's definitely on my list. So I will be watching this straight after this uh, recording. And thanks again for bringing the the DJI Pocket 2 because it's been sitting on the trailer for a while and thinking, how do I bring this filmmaking video in the context of what we talked about? And that was just perfect. So thanks again. Well, we mentioned it. So let's move on to the next segment, which is marketing tech and apps. So in this segment, Roger and I look for new tech, new apps, online solutions that can make life easier for all of us as content creators. So Roger, what have you got for us this week? I was thinking about PR this week, Pascal. One of my clients at the moment, I'm helping them with do PR, which isn't my main area of expertise, but I have done a lot of PR over the years working for big corporate and I decided, oh, I'll, I'll have a look and see what is, there is out there. And, and it reminded me that when I used to work for big, big corporate, we used to have these things called press cuttings sent to us every Thursday, which was effectively a PR agency, which we were, we, we were spending a absolute shed load of money on would effectively collect together any articles or news items that mentioned our company and they'd compile them together and send them to us in a nice great big file to read and you know in, uh, I can remember when they it physically was basically a load of photocopies of actual printed newspaper articles which then became digital copies as we moved into the internet era and I've come across an app now that you can buy you can buy for iOS or for Android and it's called the mention app and it will effectively do the same job as those press cuttings so it will look for mentions of your brand or even just keywords but if you if you sort of do a combination of keywords and your brand name it will show you mentions of your brand on social media and across all sorts of different news outlets. Now, there's a free version of this app, which does a remarkable job for no money at all. Obviously, if you want um, un unlimited access to pretty much every um, publication across the globe, then you're going to have to pay for it. But I would think for a small, medium-sized business who's just looking to listen to what the market is saying about their brand... They could go, you know, they they could look no further than this mention app to get themselves quite a really good good response. So definitely well worth having a look. And whilst I was looking at for these these PR apps, I saw I came across another one which I was going to ignore. But then I thought, no, I'll have a look at it. And actually, I did look at it and think this isn't actually bad at all. Now, Pascal, it's an app called Rep, R E P, as in reputation, and. It is effectively a sort of um, matching service for brands looking to work with influencers. And I know that you and I have, have had a bit of a problem with influencers on, on this podcast. You know, I think there's a lot of shady dealing going on here. And, and, and I think a lot of people perhaps get conned into using influencers. But from what I can see, this app seems to work really well and seems to me to, you know, actually be on the level and I think if you are the sort of business that thinks that it could do with working with influencers and I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian or something stupid like that I mean genuinely people maybe maybe tech people that um, going who, who would do reviews of, of your uh, your tech or something like that this app will help match you together. And as I say, it seems to be legit and it seems to be on the level and there's none of this sort of jiggery-pokery and Machiavellian stuff going on. So if you are 
looking to work with an influencer, try this rep app out, out and let us know how you get on. Excellent. And uh, I'm glad you're reminding us about APR, but also having some element of control about what, what is being said about you. I think the exercise of curating content that maybe you've published, you've forgotten about, or where you've been a guest or you've been mentioned, and to feature that on your website or your social media is actually part and parcel of uh, content marketing. So I would definitely check those uh, two uh, apps. I think they're very, very good. Now, for me, I thought I should continue with video production as a theme mm -hmm. following, you know, on from the content spotlight. So these are two platforms that have been mentioned before on the show, but uh, a while back now, and they have done some updates, which I thought was really quite exciting news. So the first one would be, now that you've done this amazing content, Roger, using different camera movement and, and, and so on, and you've told your story, how do you edit you know, the different scenes and segment? And I believe, after years and years of research, I wanted to advise my customers that I have settled on the one platform that is really easy to use, yet incredibly powerful, and that is Filmora, who have released their new version, Filmora 10 or Filmora X, as you have to do, of course, nowadays, with, with numbers. Now, we mentioned nine uh, almost a year ago, and Filmora 10, oh my goodness, Roger, the features. So to begin with, if you want to work fast, you will work fast on Filmora, but then if you want to do more advanced editing, it's all there, but created in a way that is so user-friendly, more drag and drop than anything else. And um, the kind of stuff that you and I would want from an editing software, whereby we may be tempted to move on to the likes of Adobe or, or more, frankly, Filmora 10 is doing it, including tracking, for text, including ducking. So ducking is when there's music and, and voice at the same time, and the voice is not obviously being overshadowed. Um, color corrections, transitions, it's, it's all there. And, and I think it's a wonderful addition to someone's kind of content toolkit if they are considering video marketing. Now that video has been produced on Filmora 10, potentially, where do you put it? Now, I think YouTube is still a good destination, but we must also, and I should, give a shout out to Vimeo. Now, I started with Vimeo back in the days of video production for two main reasons, Roger. One, YouTube back in the days didn't give you the chance to really have a full HD version of your video and you wanted to show, showcase your work properly, you can imagine. There was also some issues in and around controlling the way it looks, the size, the player, the comments, and so on. Now, of course, YouTube since then has caught up, and you could argue that there's little difference. The one difference is that with Vimeo, when the video is played to, to the end, it will start at the beginning again, unlike on YouTube where you're gonna have related video, and if you forgot to add a little code, question mark, rail equals zero, then you can have videos from the competition or irrelevant, or even videos that frankly have the wrong kind of language or tone for you. So I recommend people should consider video for all their kind of marketing and proprietary videos, but they also have updated the platform. And I got an email last week saying, did you know, and realized, no, I didn't, because very often you don't pay attention. So very quickly, Roger, over the past year, in addition to the, all the hosting kind of features you would expect from Vimeo, they also now have a creating a, your own videos from template feature. So if you've recorded, for example, um, a scene, you can upload that scene on Vimeo and you've got the square, the portrait, the landscape templates galore and good text animation and so on. And this is a bit different to Canvas. You could also stand out from the crowd. They have screen recording. So if you want to send somebody a quick message saying this is how you do it, where you can record your screen and talk it through as well, they have screen recording. For corporates, they have live streaming, a very high-end version. So not for small businesses, I would argue, Roger. And also for corporate, they have a company video hub. So what they're saying is once you've created 10, 20, 50, 100, 200 videos, it becomes a nightmare to find them, to track them, to use them, particularly if you have people working on different locations remotely. So you can have access to a company video hub. Think of it as your own personal, personal YouTube channel that you can access. And they also have a plethora of online tutorial, very much like Studio Binder, about lights, about studio setup, about recording, about editing, and so on. So Vimeo, I think, is a strong, strong consideration for the marketing element of your video. And they have introduced some new features uh, from creating to recording, which I think is very important. 
Yeah, Filmora sounds really interesting, Pascal. Um, it's typical, isn't it? You know, <laughs> again, you'll people will know from listening to the show, I have had loads of problems with Adobe Premiere Pro over the last couple of years. It's such a buggy program, and I would frequently find it crash crashing, or sometimes it would just fail during a rendering. Having said that, and touching the wood of my desk very, very strongly here, over the last few months, Premiere Pro has suddenly started behaving perfectly for me. And just the very fact that I've reported that here on the show is probably enough to curse <laughs> me uh, to then have to move away to, to film more. But at the moment, yeah, Premiere Pro is doing okay. But I definitely like the sound of some of the easier ways that you can do things in Filmoria, in Filmora, rather than the more perhaps complicated ways mm. that you do in Premiere Pro. Super. Well, listen, Roger, as we say every single week, none of this would be possible without the work of pioneers and visionaries from the distant and recent past. Let's move on to This Week in History. In 1890, crime writer Agatha Christie was born. Just think, Pascal, of all the films, plays and TV shows that are based on her stories. Uh, well, in 1940, five schoolboys exploring the Grotto of Lascaux in France discover a truly outstanding display of prehistoric cave art depicting animals in many different styles, dating back to 15,000 BC. In 1959, a Soviet rocket crashes onto the moon's surface, becoming the first man-made object sent from Earth to reach the lunar surface. The event gave the Soviets a short-lived advantage in the space race and prompted even greater effort by the United States to develop its own space program. And in 1997, the domain name Google.com is registered by Sir Gibberin and Larry Page, and it, the first ever search happened a year later during a demonstration of the accuracy of Google compared to other search engines. Fantastic. Agatha Christie, my goodness, what a contribution. Isn't it amazing that she has written so many books, crime novels, and created so many memorable characters that, again, have become almost, you know, ingrained within pop culture? Hercule Poirot, Miss Marple, and, and other um, famous detectives, some maybe not, who don't, maybe don't appear as much as those two. But genuinely, her books are almost timeless. You know, obviously, a lot of them were written in the um, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and therefore you've got the historical setting. Um, but even she used to set them further back in the past. I think she even wrote one murder mystery that was set back in the Aztec um, era. But I think the reason I just wanted to choose Agatha Christie this week, Pascal, was because of all the films, plays, TV shows, theatre productions that are based upon her books you know how many times have we filmed murder on the orient express when I mean, there's a recent one with kenneth branagh playing hercule poirot and there's a sequel imminently probably delayed by the covid uh, pandemic of death on the nile which is a sequel to murder on the orient express um and then there were then there were none you know um murder at the vicarage uh Robert McGinty's Dead. You know, there's so many of her books that have been turned into TV series and films that it's a classic masterclass in content repurposing because all of those films wouldn't have existed if she had not put pen to paper. We, uh, I missed it completely only because uh, I suppose I don't follow um, the literature as much as I should. But last year was a 100-year anniversary of the very first book she wrote in 1920. Mm. Um, the title gets me back. I'm going to say something like Murder in Styles. Mm -hmm. And I believe it was introducing Elke Poirot to, to the world, really. It was so... I mean, she was famous in France to the point where even in our French literature class, we studied one of her books as part of a themed you know, month or, or, or quarter. And I have to say, for me, David Suchet is my Hercule Poirot. I know that other actors have played <laughs> him, but uh, he's nailed that kind of Belgian-French uh, kind of uh, little lilt so perfectly. 
Yeah, I think the I think it was the mysterious affair at Styles, if if my mm. memory serves me rightly. But you and when I was at school, I, we we actually read, and maybe it was Murder on the Orient Express, and we all thought that it was Hercule Pyrite until the the teacher actually taught us how to to pronounce it properly. But yeah, um, what what is lovely about this week in history is back to this idea of the tendency, particularly in the world of digital marketing, Roger, and I suppose online business, to only consider that the last few years, you know, the last five, ten years where everything somehow has happened. And that is so untrue. Here you are, particularly a female writer who tells you how to tell a story, how to create memorable characters with their own kind of flows and quirks and so on. And a hundred years later, the um, Agatha Christie estate still is going very strong. I had a quick look at the website. I mean, the things that you are on the website, from you know gamifications to um, you know linking with academia and more, it's just really quite good. And they have converted now all her books into audiobooks, which um, must have been quite an undertaking. Yeah, and and. I, again, I should have made a note of this, and I'll, and I'll have to go looking for it again. But there are websites out there which actually take you through the Agatha Christie books and point out the clues as the narrative progresses that you should be aware of if you are going to be able to solve the crime yourself. Mm. And, you know, that is a, a, a fabulous piece of work for somebody to do. But I, I don't think I've ever spotted all the clues in an Agatha Christie book, but they are always there. And wow. she never cheats. She never cheats. You know, the clues are always there. And if, you, if you're observant enough to find them, you will solve the mystery before you actually get to the reveal. That's the pleasure of it. So for me, I, I wanted to take you back to 1940 in uh, God de Lascaux. I mean, this is a, a case, national national pride. I hope you don't mind me saying. But yeah. um, the story has been now, uh, it's almost a stuff of legend. It's almost like its own adventure where, you know, one schoolboy allegedly was uh, either running after his dog, which was chasing a rabbit or was just trying to avoid going to school and so on, but by accident stumbled upon literally a hole in the ground at the bottom of a tree and just became a little curious, so went in on his own, then brought four of his friends a few days later to go in with um, candles and kind of rudimentary um, tools, discovered a long corridor, and then when they went deeper into it, discovered the cave art. Mm. And just that story, it's kind of you know the perfect way to spend a summer with your mates, right? When you're a young young boy, and having an adventure. So they they went back home to tell their family who did not believe them. It took actually several days before <laughs> a grown up finally believed their story and, and went in. The other thing that is important is that this was near the time of Nazi occupation. Mm. So actually, the French population locally kept the Gros de Lascaux hidden. And they took, you know, after the war, people could go and, and visit it. We did the same, by the way, with wine. So from the Saint-Emilion that was mentioned actually recently online. So uh, a lot of French, um, you know, people would hide um, you know, the, the art, the um famous portraits and, and sculptures, but also the wine until, um, you know, we were liberated from the, the, the occupation. So uh, from 1947, people could go and, and visit it. And sadly, very, very quickly, by the very fact that, you know, the cave had been open, there was more air circulation, but also because of the, um, you know, the carbon dioxide that people were breathing out as we're visiting and, and um, you know, the candles creating you know smoke and so on the cave and the painting started to deteriorate you had lichen growing on it and suddenly people say we've got to stop this so they stopped all the visits they closed the cave they sent experts in to repair the the um the paintings using the belief techniques of the time from 15,000 bc and to allow people to really experience this national treasure and what with an heritage they created replicas of the cave so we're back to making copies of everything so when you go to Lasco and you would go to the visitor center, a you have the, the amazing display you would expect from most visitor center, but then you can be visiting K, which are an exact replica to the millimeter and to the color to the pigment of um, you know the the cave art. But sadly, it's now sealed for fear of losing it forever. Oh, I mean, just think. You know, remember when we did a review of the Goonies last <laughs> last year on yeah. Two Geeks in the Marketing Podcast? A group of boys searching for treasure and these that's exactly what happened to these kids finding this cave but it was real i mean it's 
can you imagine how excited they must have been? And, and like and the then, Goonies, they were not believed by the grown-ups. And nobody yeah. believed them. I know that's just <laughs> typical, isn't it? <laughs> uh, excellent. It's always a pleasure to go through this week in history with you. Let's get back to the present, if you don't mind, with our creator shout-out. Now, this is always a very, very heartwarming segment. So, Roger, who is in the spotlight today? In my spotlight today is a gentleman called Martin Brooks. Now, I've known Martin for quite a long time, and he's a really good public speaker, a really good trainer, and he's actually done a lot of work over the years helping people to become better public speakers and help you know does uh, presentation training not only the actual putting together of the presentation but also the delivery and he's been working for a while now especially during the lockdown on a new type of course that he's just put together and it's called the body language decoder now martin is absolutely really interested in how we use body language when we're talking and he's what I do like from time to time is that he'll publish a mini video of somebody like Boris Johnson doing a speech or Donald Trump doing a speech or, or a politician or a film star and he'll then point out elements of their body language which might give an indication that they're lying or it might give an indication that they're mm. open and honest um, or that they're defensive. And, and it's absolutely fascinating. And he's put together this course um, and it comes in lots of um, modules and it's all about how you can use your body language in your presentations. And it's just a really, really interesting, different take on helping somebody to improve their presentation skills. Now, usually it's all about how to do a PowerPoint presentation or how to, you know, map out your speech. Whereas this, I've, I, I can't think of anybody who's done it this way. So if that sounds like it might be interesting, go and check out Martin Brooks. I'll leave his LinkedIn bio in the show notes and it will point to the body language decoder. Ah, smashing that. I really like that. So my shout-out is going to a gentleman called Nigel Greenwood. Now, Nigel is a customer experience and customer journey mapping expert. In fact, I reckon he'll agree with you about this obsessing in you know, our quest for understanding your, your customers. And he has translated his knowledge and expertise into a software solution, into workshop masterclasses, and of course, many, many LinkedIn posts are always a delight to, to read and, and listen to. But I wanted to give him the shout-out because he's also the author of the weekly LinkedIn post, it's the Friday Shoutout. And it's the Friday Shoutout is something that I now look forward to. Now, we know about shouting out and we know about the pleasure you can derive from mentioning people, but also in terms of what they receive. And if Nigel is listening, I wanted to let him know that I appreciate the shoutouts, even though I am not mentioning them. And that's not me asking for a mention, is because when I see people that I know Giving, receiving a shout-out from Nigel, even I feel better about it. You know, I, I feel like my Friday has been enriched and so on. And it's just a reminder about the simpler things, the simplest, simple gestures, Roger, that can make a huge difference to people out there. So when, once again, I see the Friday shout-out, and what Nigel does, he tells a story of that, about that individual. He tells a story of the impact that they've had on him, whether it's on his, his business or his personal life. So you, you get to know a bit more about those individuals. And of course, they get a name check. And I feel thrilled to see individuals that I know that have helped Nigel. So as well as getting the shout out and maybe having that kind of positive ripple effect at a third level, Nigel understand that all of us reading it as well we feel amazing about it. And I just think that it's something that people should do more of, which could be also the remedy from for all the nonsense and some of the negativity that you have on the internet. So our creator shout-outs happen on a Wednesday. So it's a Wednesday shout-out for the Friday shout-out guy. It is, it is. So well done <laughs> but to it, both of you. You know, I'm not, I'm not being flippant. It, it's a really good thing to do. And there are a few people who do these shout-outs quite regularly. And I do think it's a very nice way to, to grow your network and to show appreciation to all those other content creators that are out there. Indeed. And once again, particularly for Nigel and all the others out there, 
we see it, we read it, and we get immense benefit from it, even though you may be talking to somebody else within our, our network. So it's just wonderful. Roger Edwards. Yes. It is time. Scalf and Tony. For film marketing. <laughs> Now, typically, Roger, you and I get to talk about a film where we have maybe months, maybe we have years of reflection. We've seen the film. We've been able to study the marketing campaign. We have lots of lessons to derive from our research, but not today. Today, we're talking about a film that nobody's seen. Nobody knows what it's about. In fact, the trailer was only released 24 hours ago. Let's watch it and listen to it again. Thomas? You seem particularly triggered right now. Can you tell me what happened? I've had dreams that weren't just dreams. Am I crazy? We don't use that word in here. you're still fighting and why you will never give up you don't know me no We are talking about The Matrix Resurrections, chapter four of an amazing, amazing franchise. But as I mentioned a moment ago, this came out of nowhere. Literally over the last few days, the internet has gone on overdrive, Roger. And this trailer that we've just been watching, listening again, was only released literally 24 hours ago. That's right. And I, I didn't know anything about this until you pointed it out to me a few days ago. And yes, the, the, uh, the trailer out yesterday, it, uh, it's incredibly uh, interesting. Um, it's definitely a Matrix film. Um, I thought maybe it was a Matrix film starring John Wick um, as opposed to Neo, but we'll have the uh, argument about the length of Keanu Reeves' hair later. Um, but wow, yeah, I'm excited, and it's coming out in December. But the th I think what we really wanted to talk about today, Pascal, was the fact that even though the trailer dropped yesterday, there's a massive amount of debate, speculation, excitement, and almost like guerrilla marketing been going on since that trailer was shown to an exclusive audience at CinemaCon 
back in August 2021. Yeah, I mean, I saw the the news items and many of the, the blog posts and so on felt very envious yet again. So people were invited on 24th of August, and the date is important because we can see how the speed at which things are moving. And I read articles about people describing something they'd seen and it's so, I'd imagine even when they were writing in Roger, they must have felt, I can't do justice to this. Because if what they saw was the trailer or even the teaser of that you and I have now seen, it's almost impossible to express in words what's on screen, isn't it? Yeah, and, and from what I can gather, when they showed this trailer at CinemaCon, you know, nobody was allowed to do a film copy of it with their mobile phone so presumably they had to frisk everybody who was going into the auditorium to stop them having anything that they could use to record it so yes they were in that room and they were probably blown away by that trailer like like we were when we watched it yesterday but they weren't uh they had no way of showing it to anybody else other than actually explaining telling and that's what's really interesting because as you say there's lots of reaction videos to this trailer on youtube as you would expect but normally people play the react play the trailer and then pause it and say this is what i think is going to happen blah 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 but people are doing reaction videos to a trailer that they can't show videos of and people are doing reaction videos to trailers that they haven't even seen they're doing reaction videos to the reaction videos of the people who are in that room at cinema and and it's almost become this sort of it's it's word of mouth gone absolutely mad isn't it and if you're the filmmakers bear in mind that the release has been delayed because of covid you'd be pretty pleased with this so playing the card of scarcity and exclusivity is something that has not been done for a while uh, and that's been great now i would say you know i was envious of course but we didn't have to wait too long because on the 7th of september nearly three days ago the this is the matrix.com was republished with a different URL, which we're going to discuss in a moment. And suddenly, out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, you're faced with this uh, very, very dramatic image of the red pill and the blue pill. And here you are, you can choose one of them because, as the strapline uh, says, the choice is yours. And on the 7th of September, on the, the, the choice is yours dot what is the matrix.com, you can play the teasers. Yeah. And of course, depending upon which um, pill you chose, you actually get to see a slightly different trailer. In fact, I think there was a a fairly sizable number of combinations that were triggered by the clicking, wasn't it? It wasn't just two teaser trailers. I think they had all sorts of different bits that came together. So it was just, and, and I've even seen people on the internet who must have watched it as many times as he could to get all of the little bits and then they've tried to cobble them together into their own trailers they did yeah so i would love to speak to the tech team on this one because this is what happens if you don't have the pleasure yet go on it whether you choose a red or the blue peel something happens which is that you're being addressed as the audience or somebody the narrator is talking to you directly and it also would say you believe this is the time and the time is being read out to you and every time it is the correct so right now as i'm recording you know with roger it's 15:44 in the uk if i was playing the teaser the voice would say you believe it's 5:44 p.m. and when you play the teaser a few minutes later the time has changed so they also yeah. have the times read out and according to people who have been spending far too much time on online <laughs> Because you have core scenes, but then after you have scenes that changes all the time. I will confess, Roger, I've watched about 20 times the teasers on both the red and the blue peel. And every time there's a new scene. Yeah, so according to, you know, let's, let's call them the geeks and the nerds out there who have been looking at the teasers, there's to the tune of over 100,000 variation because there's so many scenes that keep changing. I've watched mm. it 10, 20 times. And Every time I think, oh, that's it, I've, I finally find the point where it's go back to, you know, version one, and then, no, there is an extra scene in, in the teasers. So that was the 7th of September, and then two days later, we have the official trailer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkable to think that they shot a voiceover for every minute of the 24-hour clock. I mean, that is utter dedication, isn't it, and fabulous detail. Unbelievable. 
And in terms of that being very cleverly database driven, um, like I said, on this occasion, I would love to speak to the tech team and say, how do you do it? How do you do it? Is it, you know, random algorithm? Is it, we're not for the time before, for, for the scenes as well. And when we and I looked at the matrix, the original one, in episode 32 of Two Geeks and Martin podcast. Yeah. Actually, it's quite interesting. It should be, uh, you know, obviously uh, moving on. The trailer finished on a question that the character of Trinity asked. And basically, she was saying, um, it was, it was um, Morpheus, I beg your pardon, who said to Neil, but I said to the audience, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to sit for yourself. Now, in this trailer, because we know what the matrix is, we have somebody else that r closes the trailer by saying, as you heard a moment ago, after all these years, to be going back to where it all started, back to the matrix. And yeah. once again, they're using one line from the movie to address the audience, but actually to mirror how we feel. Yeah. And, and another thing which is really interesting is that I believe that when this gets launched in December, I think it's the 22nd of December, it's going to be launched in theatres and also at the same time it's going to be streamed. Now, this is something that I've been saying throughout the pandemic. Maybe it's a time when we have to get to that stage where we give people the choice to go to the theatre or to go to uh, and watch it streaming. But if you choose the red pill or the blue pill, it sort of hints that I think the red pill is the one that reveals the real world to you, that it's a computer simulation way back in the in the original film. And if you chose the red pill for the teaser trailer, that was very heavily implying that you should see it in the theatres, i.e. that will be the best way to reveal it. Whereas if you chose the blue pill, where you're more than happy to just let the world stay as it is in your context, then... That's what that's the streaming. So even though they are going to release it cinemas and streaming at the same time, the the undercurrent, the sort of subconscious nudge is still for you to go and see it at the cinema. Can I quickly ask you because you are the the music fan really and and very knowledgeable about music as part of the two gigs, the choice of the song White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, which I think is probably the more current version by Dan Society. It's just absolutely spot on, isn't it? Oh yeah, the white. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it, in fact, the reason I watched the trailer more than once, even though the visuals are absolutely stunning, was 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 to listen to the song again. <laughs> and they talk about taking the pill. In uh, it, it's yeah. just. I think as a filmmaker, you must have thanked the god of cinema to give you you know th this track. So, unusually for two gigs and a marketing podcast, we can't give a big, big review and essay about the marketing techniques because they haven't happened yet. Yeah. What I will say is that if you go on imdb.com and look at the window that says storyline, this is what you can read. The plot is currently unknown. And what <laughs> I really want, I'm going to ask you for your prediction about what they might do next for the next three three months really leading up to the release oh by the way a lovely palindrome you know because if you look at the, the date in the u.s where it's a 12 22 21 you know it's a lovely little symmetry there but when it comes to the marketing what can they do next without spoiling the storyline because i don't want to know the story i want to be blown away like i was in 1999 when the matrix came out I I don't know. I, I, I think maybe, Pascal, because they've already done this remarkable trick of stitching together potentially hundreds of different little scenes to create all sorts of different teaser trailers, I think that they'll carry on doing that sort of thing and maybe pepper the 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 future marketing with some red herrings. So we're not quite sure what the reality is or what the rea or, or what the um the, the obfuscation is so some of it might be a hint as to what's happening in the plot but i think we'll be given quite a few um red herrings so that we only find out the truth when we actually see the film itself i hope so because in a way unfortunately when you go on imdb and you see the list of the cast it does give some of it away which is i mm. think you know the element of surprise um it, it is what it is um so i'm going to certainly try not to read and watch too many things. I think there's an element for them to do things we've seen before on Two Kicks and Martin podcast of gamification, you know, asking yeah. audiences what 
do you want your reality to be? Maybe you could play games, you know, and be one of the characters in the Matrix. They could even do some things like around geolocation, as we discussed with other marketing campaigns, where could you, for example, go somewhere around the UK, take a picture and say, I think this is fake, this is part of the Matrix, and you could have a bit of fun with that. Or could they put you know, some QR codes where you could reveal maybe some additional teasers? So I think the element where... Uh, of audience participation through games, through quizzes, through riddles, I think would be great. But I really don't want them to give tell me any more about the story. I think the trailer is so rich, and you could freeze frame and watch you know different ways of um, what is happening. Yeah, and of course, you know, back in the nineties when the original films came out, we did have three D games, didn't we? But they were in their early early formative years. The graphics were nowhere near as good as they are today. So I think that you know virtual worlds now are much more close to reality than they were when the Matrix films first came out. So maybe they'll be doing something with VR or or, mm. or they call it the metaverse, don't they? Maybe there'll be some metaverse stuff going on here, Pascal. There's one thing that um, was more from the world of advertising. You may remember, um, I think it was Honda that did this thing where you went on their official website, they gave you video clips and music, and you can create your own adverts. And I wonder whether, again, in the spirit of gamification again and um, you know, audience participation, why don't you allow people to invent their own Matrix trailer and publish it and get reaction from others. I think there's something in there where I suppose what I would want is not to have just to be passive for the next three months and just, you know, bite my nails nervously thinking, I hope the story is going to be good because I don't want them to tell me what the story is. But I'd like to have something to occupy myself and, and get excited and have some, some more to talk about. Yeah, just imagine though, if, the, if so many people have done a damn good job of putting their own trailers together now already with what they've been given on YouTube, imagine what they'd be able to put together if they were actually given some sort of platform to do it. So Roger, this was episode 52 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast packed with news content, tech and some wisdom, we hope so. And to the next one, please go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Bye for now. Bye.